Well, good morning. And good morning to everybody at home watching. My family's at home watching. Hello, everybody. Love you guys. And uh, I hope that you had a fantastic Thanksgiving, however you ended up celebrating this year. I know this year, this year has been crazy and unpredictable and a lot of times disappointing. But however you ended up celebrating, I hope that it was a great time for you. Uh, for Sam, Ellie, and I, uh, it was a year that was odd, and we ended up going with Plan E because A through D didn't work out. Um, and so we ended up celebrating Thanksgiving together at home. We got Cracker Barrel. <laughs> that was our meal this year. And so just saying, like, if you have a Thanksgiving crisis ever, Cracker Barrel's where it's at. Like, they got you. They'll take care of you. It'll be good. I should get paid for that, Cracker Barrel. I should get, I should get, I should get something out of that. But, uh, it was good. And, and if I'm, if I'm being vulnerable with you, um, I was, I was pretty disappointed going into this Thanksgiving. In our family, Thanksgiving's a big deal. Uh, really holidays are a big deal. Uh, we love to get together. We love to eat food and do fun stuff. Our Thanksgiving usually is eating food and watching football and then going shopping afterwards. Like it was, that's usually the rhythm that, that we would have, but this year was different. And, uh, to be honest, it was disappointing for me and it was hard for me to find joy this, this year. But in that, in my disappointment, God hit me in the heart and he kind of challenged my heart in, in thinking of, well, what, what actually matters? Is it, is it the food? Is it the family? Is it the, Football, is it the shopping? Is that what really matters? And what he showed me is that Thanksgiving is not dependent on any of those things. And honestly, Thanksgiving is not even a holiday. It's an attitude. And I had a bad attitude. (laughs) And God showed me that I need to change the way I was thinking. And he opened my eyes to what I was actually thankful for. I'm thankful for my girls, my wife Sam and our little girl Ellie. I'm thankful for them, and I love them. And we, this week, we, we made new memories. This was the first year that Ellie got to eat food. Uh, not food, like, that was weird. Eat Thanksgiving food. Like, she eats food all the time. Uh, but Thanksgiving food, uh, and so she just tore into it. It was awesome. It was so fun. At times, it seemed like she was eating more than Daddy. Um, and then we gave her a, a pumpkin pie to just just make a mess with and just eat and just handfuls of pumpkin pie and she's just loving it. it. I treasured that. But also, it's funny, this week, Ellie started saying this, and we have no idea where this came from, but she just started saying, hi, pretty, hi, pretty. And so my self-esteem has gone up significantly this week. Um, I feel very pretty. Um, thank you, Ellie. But there, there are things to be thankful for. And, I, and I'm so thankful that I get to, to go to the table and, and meet with my girls every single night and go to the table with them. And not just for Thanksgiving, but every day. Because I love them. The table is a great place. The table is a place of laughter. It's a place of gathering together. It's a time of dreaming and sharing thoughts and checking in with one another. The table is important. And it was important to God, and it was important to Jesus and his ministry. He often met with people, and gathered with people, went to the table with people, and had meals with people. It was important to him. 
And there's one story that I want to look at this morning. And it's a meal. And just like this year for, for Sam, Ellie, and I, it was a meal that will never be forgotten. And so if you'll go to Luke 22, that's where we're going to be today. Luke 22. We're going to start in verse 7. We'll have it on the screens. But just to give you some context, this is getting to the end of Jesus' ministry. The time is closing in for him to be crucified. And so him and his disciples are getting close to Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up the story. It says this in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat of it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished, prepare it there. They went and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. So a, a holiday was about to happen in Jerusalem that happened every single year. And it was the Passover and also the unleavened bread. It was first the Passover and then it would start off and kick off a week of unleavened bread. And so that was about to happen and Jesus wanted to have this Passover meal with his disciples. Well, what is Passover? Well, to be honest, it's kind of like Thanksgiving, but instead of a turkey, it's a lamb. And so that's what they would do. It was a holiday revolved around a meal. But Passover wasn't just a meal. It was an event. In Exodus 12 and 13, it's, it shares the story of the most significant redemptive event in Israel's history. Is the time when Israel was in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And they had been struggling for a long time. And it says that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he saw the affliction that the Israelites were going through. And he had compassion for his people. And his compassion led to action. And his action was a guy named Moses. And so he meets with Moses And he says, you're my plan A. And he's like, I don't want to be your plan A. Is there a plan B? Because I don't want to go. I don't want to go to Pharaoh. I don't want to go to Moses. They want, they, they're going to want to take me out. I have a wanted posters all over for me. (laughs) Like, I don't want to go. And so he gets his sidekick, Aaron. And then they actually do go. And they go to Pharaoh. And they tell him to let Israel go. And he refuses. He says, no, I'm not going to. So what God ended up doing was bringing plagues against Egypt. There were ten total, and one through nine, all the plagues were just for Egypt. Egypt was judged, and they were, and disaster was brought against them, but Israel was spared every single time. But then you get to the tenth one, the last plague, and God speaks to Aaron and Moses and says, this one's going to be different. See, there's, there's going to be a time at night when I'm going to come through, an angel is going to come through, and he's going to take out all the firstborn sons and livestock. It doesn't matter if you're Egyptian, it doesn't matter if you're Israelite, but it's going to happen, it's going to come. But, I'm going to provide a way for you to be spared. 
And this is what you need to do. And he gives instructions. He says, take a, a lamb that's a year old and sacrifice it. And take its blood and put it on the door frame of your house. So when the angel comes by, then you'll see the blood and you will be spared. And then you're to take that lamb and, and to eat it and celebrate for what I'm about to do. And after he had given instruction on how to be spared, he gave instruction about how to remember this, how to celebrate what was about to happen, and he did it in a meal. And so for for once a year, every year, on the 14th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar, families gathered together, and they eat lamb, sacrifice it, and they were not supposed to have leftovers, which is such a bummer because leftovers are awesome. It's like the best, it's like the best part of Thanksgiving, right? But they were not supposed to have leftovers. Uh, they were supposed to burn it, burn, burn up the leftovers. What a waste. But, that's what they were supposed to do, and it was going to be a statute forever. For generations and generations to come. And this is what we see Jesus and his disciples 1400 years later celebrating. Going to Jerusalem to have the Passover meal. What's the purpose of the Passover meal? Like, why does it matter? There's three purposes for the Passover meal. The first is this, to regather in community. You see, in, in Egypt and then later on into the wilderness, what they would do, they would have the Passover in their homes, in their family units, and they would celebrate that way. But then in Deuteronomy 16, God goes a different direction. He says, no, I want you to go and, and celebrate the Passover in the place where I dwell. He was referring to where the temple was going to be. So that meant Jerusalem. And so for generations after that, the, the Israelites would go to Jerusalem as one body, as one unit, and celebrate the Passover together. They had the same common identity as the Passover ones. So not only was the food the thing that brought them together, but it was also their identity. They were God's, they were God's people, and they were the ones spared in Egypt. And so we come together in community for that. The second is this, to remember the Passover, and this is probably the most significant. So they gathered together to remember. Israel would remember the Passover event by reliving it through Passover meal. They gathered together like the people, like the Israelites did in Egypt. They sacrificed the one-year-old lamb like they did in Egypt. They ate the lamb like they did in Egypt. It was a reminder, a physical reminder, a reenactment of what happened that night. Now how they were spared. The point of the meal was to remember that God provided a way for Israel to be spared from death. It was a physical reminder and God is all about physical reminders, isn't he? And this was one of them. But it also was a reminder that God keeps his promises. See, he kept his promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and even Moses. He had kept his promises. So Passover gave hope for the future. If God is going to keep his promises in the past, he surely will keep his promises for the future. And there were promises that were to come. And so they had hope. And Passover reminded them of that hope. The third purpose of Passover was this. To redirect their lives. 
The people of Israel were Passover for a purpose. And the purpose for it was for God to make them his covenant people. I'm going to make you a holy nation, set apart. You're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And we're going to have a relationship. He wanted to dwell with Israel. And so after the Exodus, God met with Moses, and he gave the covenant. So this is how you are to live righteously. He gave them the law. This is how you're, this is how you're going to commune with me. I desire this. I want this, Israel. Because I love you, and I am the one that brought you out of Egypt. And I brought you out of Egypt for this purpose. So Passover reminded Israel of their identity and their covenant with God. But it also reminded them how they're supposed to be obedient to his word. And how they're supposed to be obedient to the law. Because they were brought out for a purpose, to be God's people. So Jesus and his disciples were in Jerusalem, going to Jerusalem, to have this Passover meal, to regather and to remember and redirect. But Jesus had another purpose in mind for this meal. If we continue on in the story, in verse 14 it says this, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God has come. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So Jesus and his disciples enjoyed the Passover meal. And Jesus shares that he had earnestly desired to spend this time with his disciples and to enjoy this Passover meal with them. But then Jesus started saying things that were pretty odd. And it was things that concerned his disciples. He says that he's going to suffer. But this is something that he's been saying over and over and over again for years now. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to suffer. But they didn't quite understand what that meant. But then he takes the bread. He says, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and do this so then you remember me. You see, bread and wine were common in the Passover meal. You had the lamb. Right? The big coarse meal, right? Boom, right there. That's the main thing. But then you also had unleavened bread because this was, Passover was the beginning of the festival of unleavened bread. So there was unleavened bread. It was a sign how, how, how uh, Israel was supposed to be separate from any other nation that they were brought out of Egypt. So it was a sign for them. So they had the bread. But then they also had wine. And so these were staples of the Passover meal. So, They were probably concerned when he said that his body was going to be broken and sacrificed. And they were to eat the bread in remembrance of him. They were probably concerned. But then when Jesus got to the cup, the disciples probably went from concerned to shocked. And this is why. See, in the in the Passover tradition, there's this thing called the four cups of Passover. And this is not in the Bible. This is something that came out of tradition over the years. The origin of it is really not 
quite certain. We're not really sure, but there's, there's evidence that, that Jewish people started practic- practicing this before Jesus came onto the scene, and there's evidence that Jesus was doing this with his disciples and practicing this very thing. It was one cup that, we, that they would refill four times throughout the whole course of the meal. And every time they refilled the cup, it would be given a new name and represent something new. And it all reflected Exodus 6 and the four promises that God gave Israel and then how he fulfilled them. And so it was a celebration and a way of remembering that. The cups were filled with red wine to remind the Jews of the blood of the Passover lamb. And so the four Passover cups are these. The first is the cup of sanctification. This was to start the Passover meal. They would take this cup and then start eating. And it was to remind them that God was at work in the lives of his people, of the, of his people and continue to do so. The second cup was the cup of deliverance. And this was taken while the meal was going on. And it was a reminder that God delivered Israel from slavery. The third was the cup of redemption. And sometimes it's called the cup of blessing. It was taken right after the meal. As soon as they're done eating, they were to take this cup. And it was to remind them of how God redeemed Israel with an outstretched arm. And then the last one was this, the cup of praise. And this was to be taken sometime after the meal, sometime after the cup of redemption. And this was to remind Israel that God took Israel to be his people. And it was a way of them celebrating and singing that God had made them into a nation. And so during this Passover meal with his disciples, they are going through the progression of these cups. And it wasn't until after they were done eating that Jesus says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. If this is true, and if this, if this is what they were doing, and it was, and he does this right after the meal is over, that means that the cup that Jesus used to administer the Lord's Supper was the cup of redemption. And that is not an accident. He did it on purpose. Because what he was doing was communicating to his disciples that, you know what? We've been celebrating this redemption story from Exodus for centuries. We've done this and we've celebrated it. And that's an awesome redemption. But there's a new redemption coming. A new redemption. And it's not going to be a lamb's body. It's not going to be a lamb's blood. But it's going to be my body and it's going to be my blood. A new redemption story was coming. This act of redemption would usher in the new covenant. And when Jesus says the new covenant, it would have brought excitement to his, his disciples. It would have brought memories and, and stories of Jeremiah 31, which says this. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." 
And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The old covenant did not work. Israel was unfaithful. And Jesus was saying right here that the old is being done away with and the new has come. The new covenant is here. I am the new covenant. This wasn't a covenant of law. It's not a covenant of sacrifices that has to be repeated over and over and over again. No, it's a, it's a covenant with one sacrifice once and for all for the sins to be forgiven once and for all and for there to be a separation of people. There is a new people. It's a covenant where God will literally transform his people and they will know him and live righteously. They were, their sins will be forgiven because sin has been the issue and the problem all the way back to Genesis 3. That has been the problem. And so full circle, Jesus says, I'm going to redeem everything. All that was broken, all that is messed up, all that is gone, all the sin will be redeemed. In the old covenant, God provided a way to be spared by the sacrifice and blood of a lamb. In the new covenant, God provided the way to be spared and saved by the sacrifice and blood of the Son. And people, whoever, put their faith in Jesus, partake in this new covenant. They are transformed. They are given the Holy Spirit to live out righteously. And they become the people of God. They are spared of death. And they are given life. We are his church. We are his people and he is our God. We are the new Passover ones. The Passover may have been the most significant redemptive event in Israel's history, but Jesus' death and resurrection is the most significant redemptive event in human history. And this was incredible news for his disciples, and this is incredible news for us. But nonetheless, it cost Jesus significantly. After that meal that night, Jesus and his disciples went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a place they went to often. And in anguish, God was praying to his father. And he says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The cup that Jesus is speaking of here is not the cup of redemption. He's speaking of the cup of judgment and wrath. Because he knew, and he was in anguish, because he knew that soon, that he was going to be taking the cup of wrath for all of mankind. And he was in anguish over it. He was troubled by it. But he was obedient. And Jesus knew that he had to drink the cup of wrath so that we could have the cup of redemption. And he did on our behalf. His body broken, his blood shed 
now redemption is offered. And this is worth remembering. So when Jesus was having his pass, his, his Passover meal with his disciples, he wanted to spend that time with them and go through the normal progression of Passover. But he also wanted to start a new Passover meal. And that's what we call the Lord's Supper. And it reflects pretty closely to the purposes of the Passover. You see, the church is supposed to regather in community as well. The church is drawn together in community by the Lord's Supper. In Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, he talks about how we are participants in the cup, we're participants in the bread, and though we are many, there's so many of us, you come from different places, different families, and you're individuals, although we are many, we are one. And we partake as one with Jesus. The church gathers together as one unified body. We are called the body of Christ. We are also called the bride of Christ. We are the new Passover ones and our identity is in Christ. We gather at the table together. But we're also joined at the table with Jesus. Just like how a husband and a wife go to dinner party at two. It's the same thing. Jesus has made a reservation for us to commune with him. And it's a sweet time with him. And he loves us dearly. He went through he, what he went through because he loves us. And he wanted to save us and spare us. Second purpose of Lord's Supper is to remember Christ and his death. Christians remember the sacrifice of Jesus by reliving it through the Lord's Supper. The body reminds us of the of how he died the death that we deserved. The blood reminds us that we are forgiven. And this is something that we don't need to remember just for Lord's Supper Day or for, for Fifth Sunday. But this is something that we need to remember every single day because our sin is before us. And we must speak and preach the gospel to us every single day because most of us and a lot of us are walking in shame and we're not supposed to be. We beat ourselves up all the time and we punish ourselves. And Jesus says, stop punishing yourself. I took the punishment for you. So stop. There are times when we feel unworthy to come to the table. Jesus says, no, come. Eat and drink. We're also to remember Because we have hope for the future. You see in the Lord's Supper. There is a future promise. And I don't know if you caught it or not. You might not have. But there's something. He, Jesus speaks of the future. And if you think back to the progression. Of the cups of Passover. There's a cup that. The disciples and Jesus did not take that night. And it was the last cup. The cup of praise. It says that right here. It says. Uh, in verse 18, it says, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And Matthew says it a little bit differently. It gives more clarity to this. In Matthew 26, he says, I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He's 
telling them that we're not going to take this cup of praise right now. We're not going to do it, and, he's, and he does it on purpose. But there's also a promise connected to it. You see, he's communicating to his disciples that there's going to be a time when I come back, and everything's going to be fulfilled. All the promises are going to be fulfilled. And I'm going to come back for you. And everybody's going to stand before God in judgment. And the ones that are Christ in his church will have the blood of Christ, just like the Passover. And then when God sees the blood of Jesus, you will be spared. And you will have life. And the ones that don't, won't. They won't be spared. And there will be judgment. There will be a Passover in heaven. And after this Passover, there's going to be a celebration in heaven. There's going to be rejoicing and there's going to be a feast because the bride of Christ is home. And we have been spared. We are the new Passover ones. And then, and then, we will take the cup of praise. That's when we'll take it. It's a rain check for right now, but it's a promise for the future. That's what he's saying to his disciples, and he's saying that to us today. We have a hope for the future. And the Lord's Supper reminds us of that. And lastly, the Lord's Supper reminds us to redirect our lives. The Lord's Supper redirects Christians to live righteously. Jesus saved us for a purpose. To be his covenant people forever. And he requires us to follow him. And that's, that's hard at times. It's difficult. But he gives us his Holy Spirit so that we can. That we're enabled and emboldened. And he hides the scriptures in our hearts. Within us. And he is always with us. And we can trust him. When we remember our identity is in Christ and that we belong to him and we remember what he has done for us, this reminds us that we are supposed to also follow him. So as we gather together and we take the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that we might need a redirection in our lives. That we are to reflect and redirect. The Bible calls that repentance. I'm going one direction and I need to turn around and go the other direction. Some of us have been running away from Jesus and we need to turn around and run to him. And the Lord's Supper is a great opportunity to do that. That we would come and remember and to be with him and commune with him at the table this morning. The table is a place to remember the past, examine and enjoy the present, and look forward to the future. We're about to go to the table right now. The band will come up. That'd be awesome. And hopefully you, you've gotten your your prepackaged meal <laughs> with you. And I I don't want to assume that everybody in this room is a Christian, but the Lord's Supper is for Christians to remember. And we are gathered here today. We are gathered. We have regathered, and we're at home, you're gathered, and you hopefully have your elements. If not, go, go to the pantry and get some crackers and get some juice. But we are 
here gathered. And we're going to take the Lord's Supper to remember and redirect. And as we are here gathered together, we are one body. We come to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and how his body was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us so that we could be spared and so that we could have life, an eternal life. This is good. I'm reminded of his love because all of this was done because he loves us. And so this is the time to express our love back to him as his bride. And so if you do have your cup, I want you to go ahead and grab it. And you can go ahead and peel back the bread, or peel back the film to get to the bread. Go ahead and have that in your hand. We're going to take the bread together as one body. And it's to remember that Jesus' body was broken and sacrificed for us. And so, if you will, take the bread. Jesus says this, Take and eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For the juice. This is a time for you to reflect and redirect. This is a time to spend with Jesus. If you would like to, you can gather in your family unit, in your chair row, um, if you would like to do that, or if you just want to spend time one on one with Christ, you can totally do that as well. But this time is your time. We're going to be playing a song here and give you time to spend time with Jesus. So you can take it at your own pace, but this is the time to be with him and to commune with him and remember how his blood was shed for us. And that is the new covenant that we get to be a part of. But nonetheless, partake the cup of redemption and renew your vows with Christ. Jesus, meet with us now in your name. Amen.